Welcome to AHIC Talks, the podcast for the Arabian and African Hospitality Investment Conference, which is the annual gathering of the hospitality and investment community in the Middle East and African region. Every week, our team at AHIC shares a conversation that we've had with industry leaders and innovators in the hospitality and investment community. We really believe you will find this insightful. So let's dive into this week's episode. So welcome to another episode of AHIC Talks, the podcast for the Arabian African Hospitality Investment Conference. My name is Jonathan Worsley, and I'm here today with James Asquith, who's the founder and chief executive of Holiday Swap, winner of the Best New App Award in 185 countries. James, is that correct? You're in 185 countries now? That is correct. Yeah, thanks for the uh, introduction. It's, uh, it's great to be chatting with you. Well, it's great to have you with us, and I'm so looking forward to learning more about what you're doing and learning more about Holiday Swap. So, James, tell us a little bit about yourself, because you're now 32 years old. How did you get involved in the hospitality industry? The foundations and origins of it probably started 10 years ago. So my background is I used to be in investment banking, studied economics and maths in, in London, and, uh, and it was miserably boring for me, but it was a necessary stepping stone to getting into the finance world, which everyone knows. So, you know, I guess before I even thought about going into hospitality, you know, the origins were early. It was uh, building up a career, I guess, in finance. I used to be a bond trader at uh, HSBC, Deutsche Bank, and then the Japanese bank, Sumitomo Mitsubishi. And I guess when I look back on when I started Holiday Swap, you know, the origins came way before. I always wanted to have a company and something in travel. And, and myself personally, I, I visited all 196 countries. I got a Guinness World Record for being the youngest person to do so. And so I was always being told by people I worked around saying, why don't you go and, you know, have something in travel because you have this platform and, and I guess this name as uh, what the press seemed to call the most travel person in the world to be able to kind of do that and leverage it off it. The, the problem I had is I didn't have the idea, certainly not the experience. Uh, and I think when I eventually took that leap, uh, I had an idea and something in the sharing economy that I didn't really see a glass ceiling in terms of scalability. And uh, and I think that initially when we kind of went out and, and made those initial uh, partnerships and particularly investors in kind of the angel space, it was by you know having an eight to nine year career in, in banking that I was able to leverage off that. And you know there were certainly days when I worked in finance where I was told to trade differently by uh, by management and uh, that I wasn't aggressive enough. But importantly to me, the thing that was always important was relationships. Uh, I wanted to do things in a in a good way, um, in uh, in a high standing way. And so a lot of people I traded with and against were actually our initial investors because uh, I didn't act like a well, for lack of a better word, um, well. You, you can you can insert word there for how uh, other people might act, but you know in, in that sense, I think that the reputation was what was able to kind of get us off the ground to start with. When you say us, who who is us? Well, it, it's interesting you say that. I always kind of refer to it as us now because we've obviously grown to have thirty odd people in the team. Uh, it was just me sole founding it to start with, which was a very lonely place to be. But uh, you know, my uh, my CTO Jackie was. Uh, always the right-hand man there with me before we even really founded the company. So, you know, I'd see it as that. It's more probably just a term that I say just to not sound as lonely as it, as it was. But, you know, in, in the medium and longer term, it, it certainly suited the company better um, that I was able to kind of scrape and cling on to that equity early on to allow us to have the flexibility to, I guess, fundraise uh, in, in a suitable way in the future. And, and was there an inspiration that guided you and got you on to got you into holiday swaps? 
Uh, it was actually on a on a trip with my friend when I was on gardening leave between banking jobs. I was in a place called Cluj Napoca in uh, Romania. I'd never been. I've been to Romania, but not to Transylvania. And uh, it was voted the European youth capital. I think there's six colleges there, really young population. And uh, everyone seems to, particularly in Eastern Europe, have this obsession with wanting to go to London. I grew up in London. I've long moved out of London now. But particularly in Europe, people have this obsession with, you know, the, the, the royalty and uh, the history. So, uh, you know, everyone wants to go there. And the same thing kept coming up when I was just having conversations with people in, a, in this really friendly town of Cluj. Um, and they said, oh, I would love to go, but it's too expensive. You know, and as, a, I guess, an unofficial ambassador of travel, uh, I meant to take a positive uh, view on it. And I said, look, you know, it's super cheap. I remember me and my friend when we went to Cluj, we flew there on Wizz Air for 10 euros each. Uh, which is partly why we booked to go there. And I said, look, it's so cheap. The flights, you know, you can fly anywhere if you book in advance and do it uh, do it well. The same thing kept coming up and everyone kept saying it's not the flights, it's the accommodation. Even a shared hostel in Piccadilly Circus is $60 a night for a shared dormitory. And I remember joking at that point. And I said, well, look, I want to come back to this town. Um, so next time I'm here, you stay at my house in London. And it was on the flight back that I just kind of had, I guess, that light bulb moment and thought, why don't we actually create a sharing economy platform that works? But looking at these uh, these sharing platforms, I mean, there's a number of them out there already, isn't there? You've got the homestay, coach surfing, love home swap. So how are you different to some of your competitors? Quite frankly, I don't think the others work, if, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, no comments directly about any of the other. I mean, there's only really two that offer home exchange. One of them has already been acquired by a major hotel group. What they're doing with them is uh, not my point of concern, but I don't think they're doing very much with them. Uh, and the other one was kind of very well known as being over 60s and, uh, you know, mostly having dormant properties. So I thought, look, you know, let's build this up more for millennials, uh, you know, more for your college students, people with one bed apartments, but we're trying to get everyone families, timeshares, and quite frankly, it was kind of three to four years of uh, digging in hard to be able to get now, which uh, on a headline statement, we are bigger than them all. You know, the next three combined, we're bigger than them all and we're cheaper than them all. You know, a lot of them kind of say 250, 300 euros. And the thing that I saw at the start, and I genuinely didn't even look at the competition to start with, I just thought we can do this and we can do it well. Uh, and I don't really spend each day looking over my shoulder at what the competition are doing. I think it's actually kind of unhealthy. And, and you see a lot of companies in crowded spaces, I, you know, the anxiety going to sleep in those spaces for, for founders uh, would be tremendous for me. So, you know, it, it was a lot of work to be able to get there. And, and, and a lot of the previous competition, when I did look at it, would say, hey, pay X amount, which was multiple times than what we charge for a year. And with that, they had a caveat saying, if you don't get an exchange in your first year, we'll give you another year for free. And I thought, how bad can the platforms really be that they're already telling the, the consumer at the point of purchase that they might not get what they're paying for? And I thought, you know what, we need to do things differently. And so for the first couple of years, we didn't charge subscriptions. We didn't charge revenue because, you know, home exchange isn't necessarily a new concept. It's been around since the 1960s. You know, a lot of people, a lot of retirees used to use this, you know, pre-internet. And then the internet it didn't really get digitalized and, and, and take off because I think in the space, a lot of traditional business owners would turn around and think that the cost and the sunk cost of digitalizing it was too much. And certainly for us, uh, there was a big sunk cost that came involved to start with for the first couple of years, determined not to charge revenue because, quite frankly, one person might search for Barcelona, one person might search for Lisbon, the next person might search for Sydney. And if you're active and busy in one region, but not another, people are not going to, they, they're just going to come onto the platform and leave it very quickly. So we needed to build up into you know over 100 countries before we even started considering you know revenue. 
so it was it was done very differently and it was done in a way that a lot of you know if, when i when i had initial discussions with vcs would turn around and their initial questions are what's your revenue going to be i said look this platform doesn't work if you try and say let's charge 100 euros and try and pay 99 euros to acquire more users and grow it just doesn't work like that until you have a significant size platform and, and moat should we say okay so on, on the swapping side do you need to have a direct swap with the the other family or the other person or or can you build up credits as well yeah both and we wanted to keep it that it doesn't really close anyone off you know you people can firstly come and subscribe onto the platform 60 dollars a year or 120 dollars is the highest one but that also includes insurance and cancellation protection and even covid protection now to the end of uh, next year so we've been busy with that with insurance companies but it adds an extra layer of security if stuff gets broken etc in your home so you know there there is the core of subscribing which is unlimited swaps and hosts then the other one is pay to play which is just a dollar a night per person so we didn't want to just say you have to come and subscribe and then more importantly the mechanics are the core is directly yes user a swaps with user b exchanges kind of like for like whatever matches up on the same date or you can swap a to b but on different dates and say, I'm not going to be at my place, come stay here. I'll agree to stay with you at these dates in the future. Or the third way is the hosting, as I said, and that's liquidity in the property market, which is the best way to look at what we do at Holiday Swap. You might come and stay with me. I might say, I don't want to stay at yours. Uh, I might have already found someone else that I stay with. So third party swaps, essentially. By giving up your place, you get a place and you can get credits. You can use them then in the future. So it, it basically all depends. It, it is a sharing economy platform. And so, the, the bigger that it keeps growing, the easier that that kind of mechanics keeps getting. How do you value the points based on quality of accommodation you're staying at? We don't. It's all user-based. And, and that's why I guess some people in the press have called us the travel Tinder. You know, it's up to you who you match with. But instead of someone's face, you're kind of matching up with someone's property instead. Um, you know, if you're paying a load of, uh, you know, for rent, three, $4,000 a month for a one-bed studio in New York City, you know, you might think, hey, I can go and get a three-bed apartment in Rio de Janeiro for that. It's up to you what you think the like-for-like value of your property is and, and who you're happy and comfortable to uh, to exchange with. So the, the ratings are quite important on this, aren't they? As they are on all these exchange systems, but you've got to rely on the, the trust of those. And I and I noticed on your website, you have a chat facility. I don't know if, it, if it's a, vi- a video facility as well. No, it's not video yet. It's something we're looking into, but uh, all technical logistics of it, the, the app is already absolutely huge. So that would uh, just be probably a technical problem that we'll have to overcome. We might do that as a separate app, but we obviously want to keep everything in one place. But yeah, the, the chat facility allows people to kind of match up with each other. You, you're not obliged to have a, a swap with them. You can start chatting with them and think, I don't want this person coming and staying at mine, et cetera, and you know, unmatch and find someone else. But it's a, it's a pretty decent feat. We worked with Google on this as well. So you know, if you match up with someone in Japan, they can be speaking in Japanese. You can be, be speaking in English or Arabic or whatever it is, automatically translate. So it is really trying to kind of home in on the community and the network side of things to make things easier. Interesting. Just asking about the tech side of your platform. How is it different and how have you transformed in terms of tech with this product? I mean, firstly, it's huge. And uh, and I'm not the, the, the tech guru. I guess I'm more of the finance background side of it. So uh, large parts of this, uh, if I'm honest, I probably don't even understand. But, uh, you know, when we first built this app, we were told that, you know, the size of the app and the back end is bigger than uh, Tinder, TripAdvisor and Facebook combined purely because if you look at an app like uber you're selecting your city or a location and you're trying to find things cars within that location same with a tinder for example whereas with us it's very much a case of you know you could set yourself and say you know find me something that is a beach uh you know near the beach globally so the back end of of, of what we're pulling in data wise is is absolutely huge 
and it's not just the actual tech that's done that. It's, it's probably a combination of the marketing of how we've built that and built the properties around the world as well, which is, uh, has, has taken a long time. But we've won a few awards for, for the tech and how the user interface works. At the end of the day, it is a C2C platform, which is quite different. Uh, you know, there are very few of them out there. Again, even though it's a completely different sector, Tinder and dating apps are an example of a C2C platform, but they work on a locale rather than, you know, potentially globally, which uh, which, which we can and do. But, but you know, the, the main point is by building that C2C, it, it has taken a lot of user trust. It's taken two steps forward and 1.99 steps backwards to, to build that. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of the main thing that sets us, sets us apart for sure. Yeah. And just looking at those hosts who are looking to generate income, looking at Airbnb hosts, for example, are looking to generate income for having people stay at their place. Obviously, this is not the platform for them. It is purely a platform for those who want to travel, isn't it? Exactly. And, and anyone that kind of says that to me and turns around and says, oh, but I could be earning X amount on my villa by putting it on Airbnb. I'd just say, you know what, go and put it on Airbnb then. The very big difference is if you look at Airbnb, they have 190 million users and I think about just 3 million hosts because it is a platform that is designed for people to make money and to host. And you get people using it professionally now, buying second, third, fourth homes, which is why they're under pressure largely because they do push rent prices up. They do push property prices up because people are doing that short-term subletting game. Now, the majority of the users on Airbnb are the people that can't put their place on there because they don't own their place. We are for everyone. And if you look at, we are kind of the, the iceberg under the water rather than the tip of it, the people saying, hey, look at my really nice apartment, come and pay me $400 a night to stay here or my, my house or whatever it might be. Uh, it's a money-making tool. And that, you know, they're very different. And there's lots of competitors to Airbnb now because people think that they can do it better um, on a small scale. And, you know, something like them, they might build up in California, have a bunch of properties, be successful, then grow to other places. That's very different to what we are. We have to and have to be relevant everywhere because what you might look for is very different to what someone else might look for rather than just saying, hey, let's send traffic to San Francisco and Los Angeles because that's where we have properties. And then when we fill them, we'll branch out to other places. So, you know, the, the very big difference is it is, you know, you think about, you know, people that are paying a lot in rent. And I always use the New York City example who then go and see their friend in Boston or in Chicago and their place is empty because they're not allowed to sublet. On holiday swap, there's no money exchange between users. Everyone can use it. We really are for that. But even with that being said, people that do put their, their, their property on an Airbnb, you know, some of them still, we, we do still get people putting it on holiday swap as well because the difference is you're not necessarily obliged on X dates like you would be on an Airbnb to have it vacant for someone to come and use it. And you do know who's genuinely coming round to stay at yours because you do chat to them, even if it's really uh, briefly before. So with that, it's a case of someone might have it on there and then, you know, maybe randomly some awesome villa in Colombia in Cartagena might say, hey, like want to exchange. And they think, yeah, you know what? I could do that in two months, three months, six months from now, et cetera. So it's very much like, you know, a longer planning platform. The Airbnbs, the booking.coms, the hotel websites of the world are very much these dates, this city, what's my best price for this star rating? Whereas on our platform, it's very much you know, people might go out of London or Paris and say, hey, I want to you know, chat to five different people. I've got five different options that I know I can stay as and when I want to go there. It might be next month, it might be next year. So you have now how many um, homes? It's 180,000 and it's over just over a million users. So obviously it's a, it's a different scale of bringing on the users to convert to have their homes on there. But until you use the full function functionality of the platform, you need your home on there as well. So it's always a funnel process with, uh, with a platform like ours. 
Okay, so uh, and and you're in 185 countries, so you must spend the majority of your time right now trying to develop that inventory. Exactly, that is from the very start. That was exactly what we've been trying to do, and as you can imagine, trying to trying to get to critical mass. Um, you know, that's why I think we're we're very defensible, and most importantly, now scalable is because you know in a, in a story of when we first launched the very first buggy version of the platform in very early 2018 i remember asking my parents i said hey can you put your house on holiday swap um and they asked me how many properties have you got i said three and they turned around and said well what's the point of us putting our house up there we're never going to get a swap and i said yeah. firstly i really appreciate that support uh they're very supportive um but but secondly and most importantly it, it's a legitimate point. It really is, and it was, and, and it's difficult. If I handed someone a chunk of cash and said, "Go replicate what we do," the question is, where do you start? You have to. It, it, I mean, we didn't go slow. We went very fast, but it felt slow because it was that kind of getting people on there and almost passing off the message, saying, "You probably won't get." And that's why we couldn't charge revenue to start with. You know, you, you uh, charge subscriptions rather than make revenue. Um, you know, you, you can't turn around and say to people you're going to get something and promise them an extension when they likely won't you've just got to say bear with us be here as we grow the platform so you know that was kind of where we where we built in the uh in the early days yeah it's uh it's kind of got us to this point now of uh, scalability but you know the majority of where we spend our, our our budget is on user acquisition um it can be anything and everything as long as we're kind of hitting our targets and our kpis i don't care if it's a if it's a billboard in Times Square or in digital ads or people handing out leaflets on the street, as long as people are more and more people are knowing about our platform and we keep growing at the rate that we are and, and more than that, then, you know, it is something that, you know, we highly think is beneficial to everyone. And what is the most successful form of marketing for you at the moment? Is it social? Yeah, always, always been social. Um, you know, I'm a numbers guy at the end of the day. You know, I get pitched every day, different kind of advert strategies by people and uh, more fancy things left, right and centre. But, you know, it, it's certainly digital adverts because we can we can really home in on exactly what we're looking to achieve from them and, and obviously most importantly track them. OK. And, and where are you on your journey at the moment in terms of, uh, you know, being a startup, um, very successful to date, but are you now... Have you you've raised your seed funding? Are you looking at a Series A fundraise? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually say we've probably just closed off what we consider as a Series A. Um, you know, actually very recently over the last couple of days, just to open it up. You know, we'd be looking at IPOing in two to three years from now. I don't want to IPO too early. I think that people are too too keen and eager to ask when you IPOing, thinking that that is kind of the, the promised land. And I think that a lot of companies that you see make the mistake of IPOing too early and for the wrong reason. You know, a lot do it because they need the money, especially in the tech space. You know, I'm very adamant about waiting to the right time to do that. And there's lots more details I could explain, but I won't explain at this point as when I think the right time is. Um, you know, but from that point, the realistic situation is that, you know, we keep our sunk costs low, we keep our core overheads low, and uh, and the majority does deliver results because it goes into user acquisition. So the reality is we're always really raising capital. As soon as we close one round, we, uh, we, we, we put it to work, see where we can realistically lay the numbers and, uh, and begin again. So we've almost started, uh, you know, a very a smaller round opening up to more people with a minimum ticket size, but on a much more mass scale in the last uh, last few days. So, you know, we'll, we always obviously want that kind of injection of capital to keep pushing us more and more. And, uh, you know, very much at the core of what we are, even though I've kind of thrown around a few names and talked about the Airbnbs and Tinders, et cetera, the actual model that we have really is more of a Netflix model, which is over time, you know, they, they take a few years to get good content on there. 
And a lot of people used to sign up for a free trial with an email address, use another email address, get another free month. Until it got to the point where they, they reached this critical mass, they had enough good content and people are now more than happy to say, I don't even know how net, how much Netflix costs a year, 100 bucks, whatever, and say, yeah, okay, take my money because uh, it works for me. And so those repeat subscribers, they're obviously now not paying to, to bring them on. They're automatically doing that for them. And so the very core of what we are is actually more similar to a Netflix rather than anything with the repeat subscribers as it becomes more and more beneficial to people. And that's where we really kind of start seeing an, you know, an exponential path towards where we want to uh, IPO in the future. Cool. And, and, uh, and of course, you're building your data all the time in terms of your client. So of course, they may well be interested as well in, in uh, participating with you. Which market at the moment are you finding the most attractive for your product? The U.S. The U.S. and then probably, uh, I mean, the, the next biggest for us is Latin America. It's been a little bit more sticky over the last 12 months with the pandemic. So after that, I'd say Australia and New Zealand has been very beneficial to us. Um, the U.K. has been pretty strong recently. You know, we've kind of been moving around and shuffling where we've been pushing based on restrictions, etc., but the difference, as I said, is, you know, there's a longer runway between someone coming on our platform and saying, hey, you know, they don't turn up and say these days, this place, I want to book it. It's more a case of they're already pre-planning for the future. If someone turns around to me and says, I want to go to New York City next weekend, shall I use Holiday Swap? I'd likely turn around and say that's not enough time. You need to be kind of finding the places, speaking to the places and having a little bit longer runway. So in some ways, it's benefited us during the pandemic. And I think the macro environment now where a lot of people are really looking to save on, on costs and, uh, and money, but there's this pent-up travel demand has suited us quite well. Well, it's certainly a good way to utilize your home, isn't it? Absolutely. To, Absolutely. to maximum effect. So, James, now I've been thoroughly enjoying this and, and learning about this new business model of yours, which sounds absolutely fantastic. But where are you um, calling in from right now? I'm actually in Greece at the moment. So I'm in Greece for the next week. It's all kind of the logistics of getting back to the UK because I've been in Dubai for work for the last four weeks. So uh, it's all this red list country stuff. So I'm stopping through Greece on the way to the the UK. And uh, then it will be back to Dubai, then Washington, D.C. It's it's always always moves around very, very quickly. I uh, found out just literally a week ago, last minute, that I had a meeting and had to fly out to Ghana from Dubai. So um, it's uh, it's always very last minute with... uh, with uh, with where I go. So lo- lots of one-way tickets everywhere. Always normally one-way tickets. <laughs> That's great, because I think the last time we spoke actually wasn't when we were both in Dubai. But uh, you went to Greece and I went to Portugal. Yeah, how was Portugal? Oh, great. You got out yeah. just in time, didn't you? Got out just in time. But um, yeah, wonderful experience. Had some good meetings and uh, learned how to surf as well at the same time. So, you know. Very nice. Something I never, my balance is awful. It's a comedy show. If you see me on skis or surfboards, um, it's a comedy show. So uh, I I try (laughs) and avoid that. Great. Well, listen, James, it's been an absolute delight uh, having you on our AHIC talks. We look very much forward to having you with us at uh, AHIC in September from the 20th to the 22nd, learning more about uh, how you're getting on and, um, you know, best wishes and congratulations. Really exciting what you're doing. Jonathan, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to AHIC Talks, the podcast for the Arabian and African Hospitality Investment Conference. You can find a full transcript of this podcast on the content library on ahic.com, along with other reports and insights. We can't wait to welcome you and your colleagues live and in person at AHIC in Dubai from the 20th to the 22nd of September 2021. If you haven't registered yet, go to ahic.com to purchase your pass today and save on the early bird rate. Feel free to email us with any questions at hello at 
ahick.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep well. Bye.